expecting to get you know our nhs round of treatment to then be told that the rules had changed um but nobody had contacted me to tell me this so i'm losing weight losing weight even though it had nothing to do with my diagnosis which was basically low amh um so low egg reserve and my husband um had issues with his sperm which which may have been benefited from losing weight but unfortunately for us that didn't didn't happen um so yeah we were just basically told that i'm really sorry you know it's now you've got to get your bmi down to under 30. so if i'd have been, li been living down the road five miles away i would have i would have been treated so wow. it's very much about how the local care commissioning groups decide to spend the money so i couldn't get treatment so they said, do you think you could go away and lose maybe another two, two and a half stone? And that the thing, the thing was at that point, I mean, I just, I just lost it at that point, I think, because I'd worked so hard to lose all this weight. I, you know, was, was exercising. I was eating all the things I felt, you know, I was very, very fit and healthy. And I knew it had nothing to do with my diagnosis. So I was like, no, I can't, I can't do that without resulting to drastic measures, which is not what I kind of wanted to do. And I'd started to feel the pressure around. So I kind of left saying like, not, I didn't say screw you, but you know, I was very cross and angry that no one had, had kind of said anything. And I, we walked out with no plan, not knowing what we were going to do, no money for private treatment. Welcome to the Jobs for Women podcast, an inclusive jobs and career space for women and non-binary individuals. My name is Zoe Jones. I am your host. I'm a careers coach, life coach, marketer and yoga teacher, and I've worked for some of the biggest corporations in the world. But right now, I'm committed to breaking down barriers to change the narrative surrounding gender equality and diversity at work. So whether you're a HR leader or a job seeker looking to dive into a male-dominated industry, this podcast is for you. Each week, we'll have real, open and honest conversations about diversity at work, discrimination, the gender pay gap and everything in between. I'll raise topical debates about women at work, I'll speak to industry leaders, and I can't wait to offer some career-related meditation and manifestation extra special bonus podcasts, so watch out for those. I am so happy to have you here. Grab yourself a hot drink and settle down for the Jobs for Women podcast. So welcome to another episode of the Jobs for Women podcast. I am so excited to welcome a very special guest this week, Emma Haslam. So Emma is the go-to expert in fertility treatment in Europe. And following the birth of their son, Emma and husband Adam set up Your IVF Abroad, the UK's only independent reproductive agency who does not take any commission from clinics and is run by Emma. Emma has become the impartial expert the Haslam's needed and that did not exist. Aiming to change the narrative, Emma is an advocate speaker, campaigner, writer for the infertility community and on donor conception. Emma is able to do all of this because she has lived it. Emma is all about putting you in control and giving you the best chance of expanding your family with no regrets. And she is working to make fertility testing and treatment globally more transparent, affordable, accessible, safe, ethical, and supported for more people. So you're ready if you're ready to grow your family and you deserve you deserve to understand all of the options impartially without bias or judgment and with compassion from people who understand and that's exactly why your IVF abroad was created to put you back in control of your fertility treatment without waiting. So Emma writes a regular blog, she's got her own podcast and I'm going to put all of that in the show notes. Um 
and yeah welcome to the podcast Emma I'm so happy you're here yeah me too thanks so much for having me I know we've been trying to organize this haven't we for a while so it's great to be here um, and chat about some really interesting topics that I think impact a lot of people so thank you for having me no worries. Um, yeah, it's really important because I feel like the universe, the universe always works in the in ways because we've been trying to organize it. But recently I've been sort of sharing a personal experience with someone close to me about their fertility journey. And I feel like now I feel a bit more like clued up on it. And yeah. I think we just need to talk about it more. So I feel like we've been trying to organize it, but now is the time because it's affecting so many people, isn't it? So, so interesting. Uh, And also just to let our listeners know um, and viewers know, we met at our uh, photo shoot. I interviewed (laughs) Natasha, who is an amazing photographer. So Emma and I met. It's all about networking guys, isn't it? You make these connections. (laughs) <laughs> um, we did met having our photographs taken and yeah. brushing each other's hair and stuff <laughs> <laughs> okay so let's dive um straight in obviously I read out in your bio that you know you've you've lived it you've breathed um the infertility journey so can you just let's kick start and can you tell me a little bit about your own personal journey yeah sure so um I met my um husband and we began trying after our wedding very typical in that kind of sense um a year later nothing had happened we've gone from kind of casually trying to like really trying to like doing all of the old wives tale things (laughs) and it just wasn't working so we thought you know perhaps there's an issue went to the gp had some tests and it was a bit of a double whammy really because it indicated that they thought there were issues on both both sides and they made a referral through to gynecology, um, had some more investigations and were basically told that IVF was the only option. And even with IVF, we had a three to five percent chance of it working. But I had to go away and lose um, six stone in weight to qualify on the NHS, um, which was a big thing to kind of hear. I mean, I knew I was overweight, but, you know, I was healthy and, you know, it was like right okay but we didn't have any money or any other choice so I was like I'm just gonna have to lose this weight which was very difficult um I tried to do it as healthily as I as I, as I could across a two-year period and then went back having lost the weight Adam also lost some weight to kind of support me didn't make any difference to, to him or me in terms of our results um we did lose two years of, of time but went back expecting to get you know our NHS round of treatment to then be told that the rules had changed um, but nobody had contacted me to tell me this. So I'm losing weight, losing weight, even though it had nothing to do with my diagnosis, which was basically low AMH, um, so low egg reserve. And my husband um, had issues with his sperm, which which may have been benefited from losing weight. But unfortunately for us, that didn't, didn't happen. Um, so, yeah, we were just basically told that I'm really sorry. You know, it's now you've got to get your BMI down to under 30. So if I'd have been living down the road five miles away, I would have, I would have been treated. So yeah. it's very much about how the local care commissioning groups decide to spend the money. So I couldn't get treatment. So they said, do you think you can go away and lose maybe another two, two and a half stone? And the, the, thing, the thing was, at that point, I mean, I just, I just lost it at that point, I think, because I'd worked so hard to lose all this weight. I, you know was was exercising I was eating all the things I felt you know I was very very fit and healthy 
and I knew it had nothing to do with my diagnosis so I was like no I can't I can't do that without resorting to drastic measures which is not what I kind of wanted to do and I started to feel the pressure around so I kind of left saying like not I didn't say screw you but you know I was very cross <laughs> and angry that no one had, had kind of said anything and I, we walked out with no plan not knowing what we were going to do no money for private treatment um and we began to look into things like surrogacy and adoption and and then it came back around to me really wanting to try to carry a baby and to to give birth um so we you know we realized that really the only option was going to be IVF privately but we didn't have any money um so we moved in with my parents bless them um and kind of put our lives on hold stopped all the fun stuff and wow. saved um which is you know a privilege to be in that position to do that but it wasn't easy living in a small terrace house with your parents newly wed in your thirties, um, and like I say, all the fun stuff that we love to do, like travel, stops, and everything was focused on kind of saving up for fertility treatment. So we started to have some consultations with some clinics in the UK, and I'm not saying it's like this for everybody, but we just didn't feel the the gel, and it felt a little bit like we were on a conveyor belt, and it was really hard. I think really hard to get transparent costings out of the clinics um prior to having consultations and in one of the cases when we finally got the costings we'd already paid for these consultations they're about 250 pounds 350 pounds a time wow. then we realized we actually couldn't afford treatment there so i was so cross because i was like well if i'd known that before i wouldn't just wasted 350 quid on a consultation that you know for a clinic we couldn't afford so it just felt it just didn't sit right so we spent only a grant just on flipping consultations that didn't fit didn't feel right i don't know what led me to think should we look at going abroad because back then you know there's communities of people talking about this now which is great but back then i didn't know anybody that did anything like this and in fact actually if i'm honest the only stories i heard back then were like people going to some random country having some cosmetic surgery and it going wrong and they they were kind of like some of my thoughts around well, is that what it's going to be like for fertility treatment? And I remember telling my mum, and she was horrified, don't go abroad, we'll figure it out. I was like, but how are we going to figure it out? Like, we haven't got the money, mum. And actually, say we get it together, we're going to be able to afford one round here. And we've got yeah. such low chances that I'm not willing to just throw that money at one round. So I began to look into going abroad, um, which was very stressful and isolating because like I say, back then there wasn't the information out there that, that, that there is now. And I didn't know anybody that had done it before, but it just felt as we moved through the journey and the process, it just felt like the right thing to do. We had a complete different experience with the clinics in terms of my BMI. Um, and don't get me wrong, like I didn't want to go somewhere and do anything that was unsafe, but I knew that it wasn't unsafe. I knew it was about money in the UK and the private clinics in the UK would have, you know, treated me at my current BMI um and yeah it just felt just felt very different I didn't feel like a number it was more cost effective um I did then put I'd had put some weight on after being told that you haven't you know you need to lose more weight with the kind of stress of that I'm an emotional eater I did actually put some weight back on so my BMI had gone up to about 37 so I was worried about that but they were fine and they looked at things holistically and said well you're fit you're healthy you know that's not a problem so I felt like I was treated like a proper person. Um, and then, yeah, we had our treatment. We ended up actually having donor treatment um, because the case abroad just said, look, you can do your own egg if you want an own sperm. 
it's not going to work. You know, <laughs> there might be a miracle, but it's very unlikely to work. And we knew that we had this set amount of money and when it was gone, it was gone. Couldn't live with yeah. my parents forever. Didn't want to be stuck in this bubble of everything. It's so consuming forever. So we made the decision that actually that was right for us. Um, and on our third round of donor treatment, I conceived twins. Um, sadly, lost one of the twins at uh, when I was 10 weeks pregnant um, and then gave birth to the other twin four and a bit years ago. Um, which oh. has gone to school. So, yeah. What a um, story. Wow. That is yeah. so many ups and downs. So how many years ago was it when you were initially, you know, when you were on this quest to lose weight and trying to get it on the NHS? So it was, we think, maybe about seven and eight years ago. Yeah. Okay. Do you think things have changed since then on the NHS or do you reckon that more strict, the same? I think things have got harder. Um, because of money, because of chronic uh -huh. underfunding, um, I think there are more places now that are saying BMI under 30, not everywhere. There are more places now than ever before that don't offer any rounds or offer just once, you know, one round of, of treatment. Um, and I am hearing in some instances, which is to me complete discrimination, that in some areas, some GPs are refusing to test, give, give people the right to have any fertility, basic fertility testing to find out if there is any issues if their BMI isn't within the right range, which Gosh. I can't think of any other medical condition, because infertility is a disease where that would happen. Um, so not only, you know, we understand that there are rules around kind of how they spend the money and, and things like that on the, on the IVF, but not even to give people the chance to find out if there's any issues is, is awful. And then I have also heard that in some areas under the CCG rulings, if you get your BMI down to the limit, you've got to stay there for at least 12 months before they'll treat you. Oh, my gosh, the pressure. <laughs> it's awful. I mean, it's... it is awful. I mean, don't get me wrong. And I, I say this to clients. I work with a lot of clients with high BMIs. We do not want someone to treat us if it's going to be unsafe. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. And if, if our weight is an issue impacting our fertility or a reason why we can't proceed with, with the fertility treatment then we need to know but there's a lot of fat phobia in healthcare and there's a lot of not looking at people holistically and, and you know a lot of not really just saying being honest and saying hey this is actually about funding um you know and it's it's awful and it makes people feel even more awful about themselves than they probably already do you know at yeah. a time where they're like well my body's failing you know I used to think it's my fault because I'm fat and it had nothing to do with it weight had nothing oh to do gosh. with what was wrong here and, and in a way i regret spending two years losing the weight which i've then gone and put back on anyway because it was two years of my fertility that was lost and while i genuinely mean this when i say I, I i wish for a less complicated story of my son but i wouldn't change how he came to be because he wouldn't be who he is um but i you know that added two years of extra pain and turmoil into the yeah. mix for us that, that wasn't needed um if my weight was an issue then I would have been willing to kind of listen to that but they you know there's no they don't give you any evidence it's just like well that's like computer says no and that's it um and it's really sad you know it's sad that somebody else can make a decision about whether or not you can be a pet have the opportunity to try and be a parent and who's yeah. I don't know I just think it's, yeah. I just think it's so wrong. and also it is 
the most stressful time i mean I, i've spoken to loads of different people about this like when we we got married we had um a miscarriage first time and it oh. literally changed my life it, it rocked me it I, I i ended up on antidepressants like mm. honestly it's like you see this you know you get married don't you and then you sort of think i'll have children and then for so many people it doesn't go in that linear fashion so like to put all that pressure I remember then mm. after the miscarriage it took ages for us because I think I'd put so much pressure on myself so then if you when yes. you're thinking about fertility like when talking about weight you know it's 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 a huge thing and then to put that pressure on that you have to then maintain a certain weight it's yeah it's interesting and I, I feel like we just haven't been speaking about it and it's the same with when I had the miscarriage it's like this whole taboo and I feel like I, I literally went in on myself I didn't I stopped like socializing because I feel like I felt like I couldn't talk about it and it's the same isn't it with fertility that's what I'm a friend uh, that I went to uni with I think I mentioned it to you like she was really honest on her podcast and talked about this painful journey physically emotionally mentally it's it's oh, a grueling yeah. process so then to add pressure on to women to lose weight is just it's beyond me um yeah, and it's but, a bit like when I lost one of my twins you know people some of the first things that people said to me were well at least you've got another one at least oh. the other one's okay and don't get me wrong of, of mm -hmm. course it's so grateful to have one twin but it doesn't take away the fact that you've lost another baby yeah, I didn't thanks. feel like I could grieve the loss of one baby because I, so I just went in on myself as well because I was like oh you need you need to be great oh well, obviously I'm not grateful yeah. and, and of course I was grateful and you know like yourself I'd suffered miscarriages before as well and typically with miscarriages not people don't know and it's just such, it's such an awful time and you and people say not everybody but they're, they're kind of the worst things and well at least it was early and things like that and it just invalidates your feelings yeah. and so people end up not saying anything mm -hmm. and then just struggling on their own with all of these awful emotions it's such a hard thing and I think one in six people now are affected by infertility which is mental madness. wow that's crazy um that links actually quite nicely because I remember um at the time when I had when I had my miscarriage we were on holiday on the east coast and my I was so upset my husband had to ring my manager at the time and I was so worried about what they'd think because I worked in a um the TV industry and PR and it was all really you know you didn't you didn't have babies young and that's a whole other podcast and I was so scared mm. about him ringing her to tell her um because I hadn't told them obviously that I was trying for a baby um I sent you an article or I mentioned that I'd read about a Huffington Post article that described how mm. just 15% of people going through fertility treatment feel able to openly talk about it at work so I just wanted to touch on that because obviously jobs for women it's about women in the workplace you know yeah. we talk a lot about how there's gender bias and you know there's the gender health gap gender pay gap women seem to go on this emotional roller coaster of a journey whether it is trying to get pregnant naturally or having a miscarriage or going through fertility have you got any thoughts on on you know women managing it at work should they should they be telling their managers should should companies be supporting women more have you got any thoughts on that yeah, I, th I think we've got a long way to go. I think there was, it, we're talking about, beginning to talk about it more, which is great. Whenever we talk about things, we smash the taboos, we make people feel normal, you know, we open up the conversation. Um, but I think, you know, you're already going through a really difficult time. Um, so 
for some people it's just a private thing they don't want to share um i think there's fear around how they'll be perceived will they be put forward for promotion will um people think that they are weak will people understand um you know what's the work-life culture like is there any sort of policy in place around fertility treatment and if there is a policy does that match the culture of an organization if it's all right having a bit of paper which a lot of companies don't even have that bit of paper so that is something that needs to be done in my opinion but then culturally do they adopt that um do they make it easy for people to go hey this is what's happening um because if there isn't a clear policy and there isn't a, a culture that people feel comfortable to open up and then people are not going to you know and this you know infertility and fertility treatment you know impacts people's mental health so much you know they need that support but i think people are scared to open up and say things because there isn't necessarily the support in place and um, that might be at some of the really big companies big organizations um or if you work in an industry like you mentioned i mean i used to work in advertising so i know what you mean when you say about pr and I, you know, I wasn't trying to have a baby then, but had I have been, I would have been terrified. Um, I was very lucky when I was going through kind of fertility treatment. I worked for um, Children and Family Service, so obviously culturally, um, mm -hmm. you know, the right fit. A lot of women, but also we had there was a clear policy around fertility treatment, um, and I worked for two women, and you know, like I say, culturally very much supported women so I was very lucky that I felt able to speak up and receive the right support that I needed um you know there was a policy which kind of outlined what I was entitled to but then I also had a manager who was very reasonable in terms of making adjustments for me um I mean I actually preferred to be at work and doing things because that's how I work but to know that at any point in time I could go home because actually this was before people were really doing much working from home so oh, that's yeah. been another shift that perhaps has hopefully has helped people because i you know trying to manage it all in an office um was was difficult but i was very lucky but i do work with a lot of people that don't have that um you know you can go to your gp and request a sick note you can self-certify for five days anyway but if you've got a nice gp you know then they will put something ambiguous if you want them to on the, your sick note so that's an option if you didn't want to tell your employer Mm -hmm. then you could you know and just needed to remove yourself from work that is an option so for my clients going abroad who perhaps need a little bit more time off to go away you know that often helps them but I think we've still got a long way to go what do you think oh gosh we've got a long way to go in in so many areas for supporting women at work it's like I yeah. was um I did a podcast on the gender health gap and you know like they're doing more menopause policies now well hello yeah. this has been going on for years and it, it just makes you wonder and as someone that suffered with really painful periods query endometriosis my whole life yeah. and then I was diagnosed with pelvic congestion syndrome and it just makes you wonder it's like just got to grin and bear it every month like this is yeah. happening every month and it's like for women going through fertility it might go on for years and years well, and it. it takes yeah. over your life because it's your like you said happiness mental health um so yeah I, I feel, yeah i feel like we've got yeah a, a really long way to go but like you said when we the more we talk about it, the more we do things like this we do smash the, the taboo i do think our listeners would be interested to know just to jump back to your experience what was it like um you know when you went abroad did did you did you feel 
a sense of relief that you know it was actually happening or how long did it take like how long did you need off work and those sorts of, of things just for yeah. people listening that were interested. Um, Relief that it was happening, but I was also a bit terrified because while I'm a confident traveller, I didn't know anybody had done this. I'm really, you know, and I didn't really know what I was doing. So as much as I am a natural researcher, and obviously I've now spent, you know, now I do know what I'm doing, but back then it was all a bit of a wing and a prayer and hoping, you know, and it turned out brilliantly. But so there was some excitement, a lot of anticipation. I think having an understanding employer was super helpful because it just removed a, another pressure that you just don't need um, worrying about what other people might be thinking about you or does it mean you won't get a promotion and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. um but in terms of time off it depends on the on the treatment that you need so for own egg own sperm treatment is typically sort of 10 days or people can split that up into two shorter trips if they froze their embryo um for me because i was having a frozen embryo transfer it was two days we went for three just to kind of see more of the sites and things because you're not actually at the clinic for very long or very many times um and then people having kind of donor egg treatment maybe seven days um so people i mean it's not the same as going on holiday obviously infertility <laughs> but you know as i said you're not at the clinic you're at the clinic a handful of times you've got a lot of time to go and actually you can go and enjoy yourself you know and, and away from the stresses of home life and work it felt great it was a really special time for us um and you know yes it took three attempts um but you know it was lovely not to be trying to balance things with work and home because we were just away i mean now the world has changed since COVID and I'll have some clients that do a bit of both. They want to take a bit of work away with them and that works for them for their employer. Other people take the time off, um, you know, as holiday or they've got a fertility policy. And I'm encouraging people as well, if they feel strong enough, if there isn't a fertility policy, to, to kind of ask, um, which is easier for me to speak now because I'm speaking from the scar and not the wound. And at the time when you're going through this, it's, it's sometimes too much for people to think about, you know, it's just too much and it should kind of already be there for them when they're at a time they feel so vulnerable don't they um yeah i think another reason people might not always speak out is if they've got a male boss now i'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a male boss but if there's no other kind of contact for you within your organization you just might perceive that perhaps well you might not feel comfortable opening up but also you might perceive that a man's going to treat you differently than perhaps how a woman would that may or may not be true but you know that can be difficult for, for people as well oh or, yeah you know. definitely and and it it does depend so much on your line manager doesn't it and when I think back if I'd have had a a male line manager when I experienced the miscarriage I think it would have flipped it even more I would have <laughs> but it's so important to have that lifeline isn't it we need that support when we're going through such a massive a massive life change um, I think it's interesting what you said as well about, you know, will it affect promotion? Because this is what's been coming up. Um, I did a webinar for women in property on Tuesday and we talked about, you know, the things that women have in life. Maybe it is taking time out to have kids. And we had an estate agent on and and she was saying, um, you know, there's a lot of female estate agents. But then when they coming back after having kids, you know, the it's late evenings, it's, you know, weekends and that sort of thing um so it's it's tough isn't it you know managing what we have going on as women so the fertility struggle is yeah my heart yeah. goes out to to anyone that's struggling that can't have that contact with a manager you know and be know. honest about what they're experiencing and I remember like having a miscarriage and then just going to work oh. <laughs> and you know and not saying anything because I, I just I didn't know what to say I didn't you know 
Um, this is oh, breaks my heart, honestly. That really breaks my heart. Working in you know in, in a different industry, but I just got up and went to work. So I just thought I can't, I can't find me to say. I don't know what to say. And it was when I was working in advertising, and I just thought I can't. This will not go down well, and I can't speak about it yet. So I just went to work having having a miscarriage, you know, and oh, just carrying on goodness. like things were normal while breaking, you know, completely apart inside and just having to kind of carry on. Um, would you would you advise people so like when you're working with your clients do you advise them I know you said which I thought was brilliant you know it's hard but ask if there's a policy is that your piece of advice would you say be honest be transparent with work I think it depends I mean because I think it's easy for me to say now because I know how hard it is in the moment so I think it depends on the person you know, I'll say to them there, there are things for you to consider have you looked to see if there's a fertility policy if you haven't maybe have a look you could consider confiding in your GP. And if you want to avoid work knowing at all, you could go down that route. Um, if your line manager isn't appropriate, is there somebody else you could talk to? You know, if you yeah. don't have a fertility policy, do you feel able to have that discussion? Because actually it just might be that they haven't thought about it or no one's ever asked. And just try to give them a few kind of scenarios and then they can kind of decide what's right for them. But yes, um, and my husband works for... Um, so he's co-founder of the company, but he has a job. He works for another company, a large company in the UK. Um, and they actually asked us for our advice to improve their fertility policy, which is amazing. Like, that's, you know, so good. Um, and I applaud, you know, companies like that. Um, changes are happening. Um, and sometimes it's the wording, you know, like with this, with, with the company, you know, that we were looking at some of the, the fertility policy was along with things like elect, elective surgery, like cosmetic surgery. And I was like, Eek, it's not elective. And it was just a very innocent thing, yeah. but but had not been thought through. So, but the great that they were happy to go, look, you tell us what you think needs to change and we'll change it. That's fantastic because um, you're the expert. Yeah. So, you know, get the experts in. Yeah. And, you know, so that's brilliant because we're not always going to get everything right every time. And so it's, it's being, I think, willing as, a, as an employer to listen and support because we know that by doing that we're going to get more out of our employees anyway in the long run yeah, so really really sometimes yeah people Good think point. well you're going to have time off and da, 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 da. yes you are but then you know you're more likely to remain in work long term you're more likely to have a more positive relationship with work and you know value that company for looking after you at a difficult time all the things but sometimes people are very short-sighted and don't see it like that that's a really nice it's a really nice way to look at it actually that isn't it it's like someone is will feel more committed to the company staying there feeling yeah. valued the, yeah, the, so the rewards yeah so yeah. if you just because we're going to close soon but if you were going to yeah. give some advice to someone that's thinking you know they might be in the same um point in time as you whether losing weight or not where but whether the nhs treatment is looking like a no-go what advice would you give for someone thinking should i do it abroad should i not what would you say well i i think you've got to look into it to see if it could be an option for you it might not be the right option for you and i'm not going to sit here and say it's for everybody you know some people say for example if you're a teacher and you can only go away once a year and you don't want to wait wait a year till your summer holidays it might not be for you or if you've got a pet and you've got no one to look after that pet it might not work for you but i've loads of clients have got pets and they figure <laughs> it out but you know i think don't close it down as not being an option because it's more accessible it's more affordable and 
you know you get that clear time away which actually is really nice you can go somewhere that perhaps you haven't been before or maybe somewhere that you love um and you know if you have a partner you can you can take them um or if you don't you can go by yourself or you can take a friend or family member um and you know the customer service is awesome and you you know by stretching your budget further you're going to give yourself more chances to get to where you kind of want to go um and you know there's there are tons of resources out there now i write a blog as you mentioned i've got a podcast so it's your idea abroad with emma haslam which i know you're going to link in the show notes thank you um so read up about it you know and if you need more help then obviously you know come and talk to me because i offer lots of services to support people wherever they're at you know whether that's just a kind of information gathering so they want to work out what it's right for them or whether they want to help with things like finding a clinic or having and having kind of planning having treatment abroad um so i'd say look at it as an as an option um you know there's a lot more people doing it i'm not saying every clinic abroad is safe you've got to know what you're doing but you know you can do it and it, it's yeah. quite nice to put your it was nice for me to put my energy into something that felt like i was moving things forward because being stuck in a cycle of I mean, I love the NHS, but it's chronically underfunded. I've been stuck in a cycle of waiting for appointments and BMI being used as a reason when actually I'm an intelligent person and knew that that wasn't the reason. It was frustrating and, you know, I just felt so stuck and I wanted mm-hmm. to move forward with things. And, you know, by going abroad, I knew that things could move relatively quickly. So I'd say go and, you know, go and check it out and have an open mind. We're not looking for cheap IVF abroad. Absolutely not. We're looking for best value with a clinic that's safe registered regulated that's going to match your needs and your personality it's going to look after you you know you're a private client and you know you're paying money a substantial amount of money whether you're going abroad and saving thousands or not and you need to be treated you know appropriately and these clinics they deal with a lot of international patients so it's big business for them you know and Mm. things have moved on so much since i started having my treatment sort of six years ago you know so yeah you know it, it can be very smooth um and like i say i now exist to help people if they want that extra support amazing i think it's interesting as well what you said about earlier you know spending all that money on the consultations in the uk because yeah. they weren't really transparent with you know a lot of us it's like when you're buying anything it's kind of like what's it going to cost me you need to know because wasting that money on those consultations oh. Oh, that's so, so tough. So are, are there clinics abroad a little bit more open so that you can yeah. cut out that time? Yeah, so absolutely. You should be able to get before your um you should be able to get the costings from the clinic transparently. Yeah. There might be some things that will depend on the outcome of your treatment, but they should be small things. Um when you have your actual medical consultation after that, you'll get your exact price based on the treatment plan they recommend. Yeah. But prior to that, you should be able to say, okay. How much is it for a cycle of donor egg? How much is it for a cycle of own egg with ICSI? So you can get a benchmark because you need to know and, and when would I yeah. need to pay? So you can work out, you don't want to sign up for something that you then can't afford to do. Yeah. Um, so like part of what I do for my clients is they'll kind of give me an idea of budget. So I'm not sending them to clinics that are out of budget for a start. And they'll have a really good idea before they have the consultations with the clinics, what the cost with that clinic would be. And like yeah. all my prices are transparently displayed on my website because I don't believe in getting people in and then like, yeah. you know, hoodwinking them into it and then revealing the price. And, and that person's yeah. like thinking, oh, I didn't think it was going to be that or whatever. And that puts some people in an awkward yeah. situation. So thinking about everything we went through 
I just everything's like clear and transparent because I think it's important yeah because you've lived and breathed it so yeah. obviously this is a this is difficult to to name a price because all the clinics are different like you said and there's different levels yeah. but is there a rough percentage saving that going abroad or does it just totally depend you can you, you know? can save up to sort of 50 percent, including wow. flights accommodation the whole wow. lot um, you know you can you can get ibf with ICSI from 2300 euros Yes, you'd have your flights, you'd have your medication, which would depend on your prescriptions. That's difficult to give you a figure for that. Um, and you'd have your, you know, your accommodation. But, you know, the average round of fertility treatment own egg in the UK is about £10,000. So, you know, you typically, my clients get about two for one versus wow. um, the UK. Yeah. So, you know, there are definitely savings to be made. And of course, if you do have embryos left freeze, um, then the next time you go, it would be as expensive because you're not paying for the drugs to kind of stimulate the eggs for collection and you're not having as much involvement from the clinic. So the clinic cost comes down. You're not there for as long, so your accommodation costs come down. So if you needed further treatment, if it didn't work the first time or if you wanted to go back and try for a sibling, then the costs fall dramatically as well which they would in the uk too you know full transparency but um like for like you know it is a lot a lot cheaper yeah and i think sometimes that puts people off because they think well what's the catch there must be a yeah. catch yeah 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 um, you know and there are some places where i wouldn't have fertility treatment and you've got to do your homework but if you do your homework properly then it absolutely is a great option for lots of people and to know that you can stretch your budget further and and not have to wait you know there's a lot of waiting in the uk for donor eggs particularly if you're not white um you know people sat on waiting lists people sat on nhs waiting lists that actually are in a position to go privately but they don't perhaps know that there's the option of going abroad but they haven't got the money to go in the uk um and i get a lot of people who've had treatment in the uk and weren't happy with the customer service and actually have gone abroad and been treated how they should have been treated all along that's really and I'm not interesting saying it's like that at every clinic it's not there are some great mm -hmm. clinics in the uk of course as well um but you know, it's about having, it's about giving people choice. I think a bit of choice yeah. um, and that control, yeah. which you know yeah. feels so out of control. I think going through all of this, don't you? It's nice to take yeah. some control back. Yeah, I think that's really well said. Actually, yeah, you do feel each month you're just like, oh, I've got no control of my own body. That's amazing. I, honestly, when we first met at that shoe, I was just like, this is genius because it's kind of like giving people that extra lifeline because, you know, not many people have that spare 10 grand, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, so knowing that there's another option and sometimes for some people, not for everyone, it, it might be a better option. So it's, I think what you're doing is amazing. And I think Thank the more you. we talk about it, the more we talk about it at work, the more we challenge companies to have yeah. these policies to support whoever it is that's going through fertility you know the men are on the journey as well it's you know yes, it's not absolutely. just the women that's another um, podcast episode itself that's isn't it? a whole um, yeah let's do yeah, it let's get it yeah, men, i think men you know they, there's a long way to go for men as well absolutely okay so we will leave it there for today i could i could, could keep talking for another half an hour <laughs> i think this is so let's <laughs> let's definitely get another one booked in and talk about um yeah talk about maybe some uh, a client study or yeah, like sure, you know or definitely even the men yeah let's not forget about the men i know jobs for women is about women but it's a two-pronged attack it's it's an approach that where we need the men on board for gender equality but also we need to when it's yeah. fertility it's it's both 
couple of both yeah. partners isn't it okay amazing that is so nice to see your face so nice uh, to hear you. what you've got to say i will add everything onto the show notes um and if anyone wants to reach out to you what's the best way what's your preferred contact method yeah so you can either shoot me an email which is hello at your ivfabroad.co.uk or um you visit the website there's a contact us form on there you can shoot me a message or i'm on all socials um at your IVF abroad just drop me a dm brilliant well thank you so much for joining me today thank and you, we'll see you soon take care thank you bye, bye. Wow, that was such a great chat with Emma. She is so experienced um, because, of course, like we said, she's she's lived and breathed it. She's been there. She's experienced trying to get treatment on the NHS, having to lose weight, like the pressures. I know we talked about it on the pod, but that's tough at a, at a point in your life when you're already stressed, already feeling a bit rubbish about your own body, thinking that it's not doing what it what it's designed to do. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how employees, you know, hopefully improve policies, but actually do something, not just have it on a piece of paper, whether they're going to really support uh, couples um, on the fertility journey. Because let's be honest, it can take years. And if you are going through that and then you're not telling your your manager, your line manager, whoever you're working with, and it does start to affect your mental health or your performance at work, you know, it's so important to be honest and to have those open lines of communication so it was a pleasure to speak to Anna today what she's doing is fantastic and I hope that if you are going through anything similar this podcast has been helpful or maybe it's inspired you to talk to your manager at work about it so I'll put everything in the show notes like I said so if you want to reach out to Emma she's so so gorgeous she's lovely she's knowledgeable so even if it's just to ask some questions or have a chat with her or ask her about her own experience she is ready to chat to you so thank you so much for listening to another episode of the jobs Women podcast if you would like to advertise any roles for if you want to target more women in your recruitment you can drop me an email hello at jobsforwomen.co.uk don't forget to subscribe and review the podcast and send it to anyone else that um, you think might be interested in listening thank you so much take care see you soon